Okay, so we're carrying our series in the Psalms. It's Psalm 147, which we're going to read now. And uh, it starts with praise the Lord and finishes with praise the Lord. So I think I'm sure that might be something to do with Andrew's talk that might be in there. So let's start to read. Um, first one. Praise the Lord. How good it is to sing praises to our God. How pleasant and fitting to praise him. The Lord builds up Jerusalem. He gathers the exiles of Israel. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. He determines the number of the stars and calls them each by name. Great is our Lord and mighty in power. His understanding has no limit. The Lord sustains the humble but casts the wicked to the ground. Sing to the Lord with grateful praise. Make music to our God on the harp. He covers the sky with clouds. He supplies the earth with rain and makes grass grow on the hills. He provides food for the cattle and for the young ravens when they call. His pleasure is not in the strength of the horse, nor his delight in the legs of the warrior. The Lord delights in those who fear him, who put their hope in his unfailing love. Extol the Lord, Jerusalem. Praise your God, Zion. He strengthens the bars of your gates and blesses your people within you. He grants peace to your borders and satisfies you with the finest of wheat. He sends his command to the earth. His word runs swiftly. He spreads the snow like wool and scatters the frost like ashes. He hurls down hail like pebbles. Who who can withstand his icy blast? He sends his word and melts them. He stirs up his breezes and the waters flow. He has revealed his word to Jacob, his laws and decrees to Israel. He has done this for no other nation. They do not know his laws. Praise the Lord. Let's pray for Andrew as he comes up to teach us from the psalm. Father God, we thank you for this uh, amazing scripture, this psalm, Lord, that, that... where we can just praise you, Lord. And we just thank you that you're just the amazing creator who numbers the stars, Lord, but you know us so intimately as well, Lord. We thank you for this time. We pray that, Andrew, you'll help him to teach faithfully from the scripture. You'll give us ears to listen, Lord, and we just want to give you the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, Adrian. Rewind to Christchurch Banstead pre-2020. It's a normal Sunday evening and the service leader gets up at the start to deliver the notices. And he says this, this week we won't be singing. How would we have responded pre-2020? That would have been outrageous. We, we wouldn't believe such a thing could possibly happen. Like how could we be in church and not sing? That would just feel so, so wrong. Little did we know what was just around the corner. It wasn't just one week without singing. We had 70 Sundays in here without singing. 70. Crazy. But um, it was frustrating, wasn't it? And particularly strange in that time when crowds could gather in a stadium and sing, but still we weren't allowed to. But, But nevertheless, we got through it. And we're here right now. And we can sing, and it feels so good. It feels so right. Singing in church is just a perfect fit. 
And it's good to sing for all sorts of reasons, just singing in general I'm talking about now. Um, Singing with others forges social bonds and develops group identity. Think of the kind of sense of unity and shared experience that you get singing uh, in a crowd at a stadium or at a concert. Um, Singing is also really good for learning and memory. Think about... um, when you're in like, infant school, uh, singing songs about the weather and maths. Uh, it's really good for that. And there are also many studies about the physiological benefits of singing. Um, so uh, exercising the mind, reducing stress, even things like relieving pain, uh, and, um, of course, uh, contributing to our happiness and, and general well-being. Singing is good for many, many reasons, And we do want all of these things to be true about our singing here at Christchurch Banstead. Our singing, it does help us unite around the truths that we believe. It forges us together. And as we sing, we learn and we teach one another about those same truths. Uh, We shouldn't underestimate how much of what we believe is actually due to those songs that have permanently fixed themselves at the back of our minds. And of course, we also want our singing to be enjoyable. Um, music is a wonderful gift from God, and we should make the most of it. But if shared experience and learning and happiness are our only motivations in singing, then our singing will be woefully inadequate. Woefully inadequate. We're not a stadium. We're not a classroom or a concert. We are a church. And in this psalm, we are led in sung worship as a church. Uh, Those verses that Trevor read at the start. Verse 1, praise the Lord. How good it is to sing praises to our God. How pleasant and fitting to praise him. Verse 7, sing to the Lord with grateful praise. Make music to our God on the harp. Verse 12, extol the Lord, Jerusalem. Praise your God, Zion. And then at the end of verse 20, praise the Lord. In this psalm, we're led in sung worship worship as a church. And I say as a church for a reason. Notice how the psalmist keeps coming back to the old covenant people of God. Verse 2, you have Jerusalem and Israel. Verse 12, you have Jerusalem and Zion. Verse 19, you have Jacob and Israel. Here the psalmist is writing as the worship leader of God's people, moving them to praise together. So this psalm finds its primary application not to us as individuals, but to us together as God's new covenant people, the church. And Just one more general comment about this psalm and all psalms. It's always fruitful to think about what this psalm would mean if it was spoken or sung on Jesus' lips. So, yes, um, this Old Testament psalmist can point to God's goodness and and move uh, the people of Israel to praise in part. But Jesus is the one who gives us the full picture here. So when he is the one reading this psalm or singing this psalm, when he is our worship leader, we find even greater reasons to sing God's praises. 
So, church, why is it good to sing praises to God? Three reasons from this psalm this evening. Firstly, verses 1 to 7, it is good to sing praises to our God because he is building his church. So in verses 2 to 6, here the psalmist encourages us to celebrate the restoration of the city of Jerusalem and of the people of God. So remember that because of their idolatry and because of their social injustice, the um, superpower of Babylon had swept through the lands of Israel and Judah. It ripped through the country, tore down Jerusalem's walls and carried off many of the people of God into slavery and exile. And many of us will be very familiar with that story, but we shouldn't underestimate the national tragedy and sense of shame that that would have brought. Their nation was pretty much obliterated out of existence. But after turning their back on God, God didn't turn his back on them. Um, The psalmist leads Old Testament Israel to praise their God because, verse 2, he builds up Jerusalem. In their case, this was literal and physical. I think it was last year we looked at the book of Nehemiah and we saw how um, God called him to return to Jerusalem and to rebuild its gates, rebuild its walls, rebuild community life there. Rubble was cleared, enemies were overcome and shame was removed. What a joy for the people of God to see their city restored and built up. Praise the Lord. But of course, Old Testament Israel had more to praise God for than bricks and mortar. Um, Continuing in verses 2 and 3, he gathers the exiles of Israel. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. This This is grace. This is compassion. They were in exile, really, because they had run away from God. They were brokenhearted because they had broken God's hearts, and their wounds were ultimately self-inflicted. The Lord, of course, could have washed his hands clean of them, but that's not what he does. He could have left them to deal with the consequences of their actions forever, but our God isn't like that. His heart went out to them with with motherly compassion, gathering them in, healing them, binding them up, binding their wounds. Praise the Lord. And the psalmist continues to point to God's power and understanding in doing this in verses 4 and 5. He is the one who creates and counts the stars. And at one level, this is here to build the confidence of the people of Israel that God can, in fact, do something as difficult as gathering people from all across uh, the then-known world. Um, So if he's powerful enough to keep track of the innumerable stars in the vast universe, then he can certainly keep track of his people wherever they might be. Uh, No one's going to escape his care. No one's too far away, and no one will fall through through the cracks. But also, I wonder if you noticed this. 
That mention of God's people and stars close together, does that remind you of anything? Back in Genesis chapter 15, God took Abraham outside and uh, he said this, look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them, so shall your offspring be. So with this promise in mind where stars represent people, the psalmist here is encouraging Old Testament Israel to rejoice that God will not gather and care for just a few people, but a vast, vast multitude, a vast congregation. And it won't be an anonymous crowd. He is the one who calls each of the stars, each of his people by name. Praise the Lord. And one more verse on this point. In verse 6, attention turns to the Lord's justice, because humbled by their exile, recognizing their own sin, Old Testament Israel, they called on the Lord. They owned their sin. No excuses, no exceptions. The Lord's people were restored, and their wicked enemies were destroyed and judged so that God's people could be saved. Praise the Lord. The psalmist called Old Testament Israel to sing praises to their God because he was building and gathering his people with power and justice. And as the psalmist led them, so Jesus leads us. Um, So uh, we too were scattered. We were far from God and lost. But The God who knows the stars by name, the God who calls the stars by name, called each one of us by name and brought us back. Wounded and broken by our own sin, he is healing us and binding us back together in the power of the cross. The earthly Jerusalem may not be the focus of God's building project anymore, but he is still building something even more beautiful. Um, Ephesians chapter 2 verse 22 In him, that's Christ, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Sing praises to our God because he is building his church. And just think about how God is building his church today around the world. I looked up some statistics which are truly mind-blowing. In the year 1900, in the whole continent of Africa, there were only... 9 million Christians. Now there are 541 million Christians on the continent of Africa. That's phenomenal. In Nepal, the world's only Hindu kingdom, uh, the first church was founded in 1959 and it only had 29 members. Today, there are more than 500,000 Christians in Nepal. In Mongolia, in 1989, apparently there were only four Christians, four, and today there are 20,000. And in Iran, possibly where the church is growing fastest today, more than anywhere else, 20 years ago there were no more than 10,000 Christians. Now there are something between 800,000 and a million Christians. God is building his church. Praise the Lord. That is a really good reason to sing his praises. Secondly, it's also good to sing praises to our God 
because he's keeping his church. We see this from verses 8 to 14, where the psalmist calls the people of Jerusalem to extol the Lord for his keeping grace on them. And this keeping grace can be split up into kind of two subpoints that he's providing for them and he's protecting them. So firstly, he kept his people Israel by providing for them. Um, if you look down at verses 8 and 9, you see that uh, he's doing this in quite a general sense there. Clouds gather, rain falls, um, and grass grows, and that means food for cattle and, indirectly, also food for ravens too. And on the one hand, um, yeah, we could attribute this to the water cycle. Um, we could talk about uh, evaporation, condensation, and precipitation, but then we'd be doing geography, and no one wants to do that. Um, behind all these natural processes, God is at work. He's not like a watchmaker who kind of puts it all together, winds it up, and then leaves it to kind of run its course. Our creator continues to be involved in his creation. He, he loves his creation. He cares for it, and he provides for it. And uh, as we read in Colossians chapter 1, all things are held together in Christ. So yes, um, some of you of a more scientific mindset might enjoy kind of uh, understanding some of these natural processes, these laws of physics uh, that make um, stars burn or, or plants grow. But we should use those things to fuel our singing, to fuel our praise of God, the one who is working in his creation behind all of those things. We might wonder what verses 8 and 9 have to do with God providing for his people. But notice that it's not talking about wild animals, it's talking about cattle, farmed animals. And also, the mention of God answering the calls of young ravens um, it sort of invites the kind of Sermon on the Mount-esque response. How much more will God answer the call of his people? And indeed, verse 13 and 14 do finish that thought. He blesses your people within you, within Jerusalem, and satisfies you with the finest of wheat. Now, of course, the psalmist can point to all these ways in which God is provide, did provide for Old Testament Israel. But Jesus can point to so much more that God provides for the church God's provision at Christchurch Banstead is honestly wonderful. When the, when the budget gets sent around the leadership team, I really do my best to understand it, but there are a lot of numbers. And the best way I've found to get to the bottom of what it means is just to look at the facial expressions of Fred Payton and Andrew Grimstone. Um, if, uh, <laughs> if they're both frowning, the numbers are bad. And if, um, well, they're never that cheerful, but <laughs> if they're smiling a bit more, the numbers are okay. And, and they're both smiling a lot more these days than they were doing last May. Through the generosity of his people, God has provided for his church in what could have been a really, really challenging time. Uh, even in a time that it really could have been very, very difficult God keeps providing, and he has provided for us. 
and look around at the, the gifted people that God has provided this church as well. The fact that we can have online services, the fact that we can run um, youth camp, we can run New Horizons trips, we can run Bible studies, we can run picnics in the park, and a million other things, it's testimony to the fact that God is providing for his church. Praise the Lord. But but, um, what about churches around the world and here that aren't blessed in the same way? Churches that struggle to pay the rent or churches that struggle to maintain ministries, does this psalm not apply to them? Is God providing for some of his people but, but not all of them? No, not at all. Jesus leads us in worship as he points to the immeasurable riches that God has provided for all of his people, for his entire church. If, if you are a Christian, you are immeasurably rich. We have blessing upon blessing waiting for us just around the corner. Never again will we stress about an impossible budget. Never again will any of us stress about how to put food on the table. Never again will anyone feel empty who is in Christ. When Jesus returns, immeasurable riches, the best of all being with him in person. And I don't mean to minimize how difficult financial pressures are in the here and now, but know that it's only temporary. Praise the Lord. Our God is keeping his church by providing for us, and our God is keeping his church by protecting us. The psalmist in these verses, we're still looking at 8 to um, 14, The psalmist calls Old Testament Israel to praise God for how he was protecting them. Look at verses 10 and 11. Israel could could say this from experience. There were many times in their history when the enemies were at the gates. And in those circumstances, they went either one way or the other. Sometimes... They were so, scared, so afraid of the army that they lost their heads and thought, well, there's a big army out there with lots of warriors and lots of horses. So what we need is to rely on another nation to send lots more warriors and lots more horses, and then perhaps we will be okay. That always ended badly. However, there were other occasions where they didn't lose their heads. There were times when They overcame when their fear of the Lord, their fear and respect of the Lord was so much greater than their fear of the approaching army. The times when they overcame were the times where they put their hope in the unfailing love of the Lord. One such time was when the massive army of Assyria was approaching. 185,000 soldiers with fury in their eyes, waiting to burn this city to the ground and destroy the people of God. They approached and they surrounded the city. But God's people, led by their king, they cried out and they called on the unfailing love of the Lord. And he answered. And he rescued his people and he defeated the the army without anyone having to even raise a sword. They overcame because they relied on the unfailing love of the Lord. 
God won the battle for them. He was their refuge and their protector. In the words of verses 13 to 14, he strengthens the bars of your gates. He grants peace to your borders. Praise the Lord. But again, on the lips of Jesus, we find even greater reasons to sing praises to our God. He's keeping his church by protecting us. Imagine standing on the walls of Jerusalem and looking out as that army of Assyria approached. The sight of all those people, the, the sound of their war chants, the sun glinting off their sharpened spears, it would have been terrifying. But a more terrible enemy is encamped against the church. The devil and his army of fallen angels would destroy us if they could. He is a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He would take our eyes off Christ. He would bar the gates of heaven and he would drag us down to hell if he possibly could. This world is full of danger, but the church is a safe place. Its walls will never fall. Its gates are secure. If your hope is in the unfailing love of the Lord, you are safe. You are secure, whatever he might throw at you. Throughout history, the church has always been attacked. Persecution and suppression and division have never been far away. And yet, guess what? After 2,000 years of it, the church is right here. And it's bigger and better than ever. And yes, we might fear what threats might be around the corner. We might fear what legislation the government may throw at us. But the church will always stand firm. Why? Because God is keeping us. He is our protector. Praise the Lord. He is keeping his church. And then finally, it's good to sing praises to our God because he's speaking to his church. And first, see the power of his word in verses 15 to 18. We know how uncontrollable the weather is, but here, even the weather is subject to him. It does what he says. Uh, now, um, on Instagram, I follow Jamie Oliver, and uh, he posted a story, I think last week, where he was in the middle of filming one of his cookery programs, and um, suddenly the heavens broke, and there was the most ridiculous hailstorm. And um, he runs inside, and he turns the camera on the the tent where all the filming equipment is stored. And you see this tent just getting pummeled and pummeled and pummeled by these golf-ball-sized hailstones. And everyone was kind of just running around panicking. They had absolutely nothing that they could do. They had to just leave the equipment to get utterly destroyed, thousands of pounds worth of damage. Nothing they could do. They were just helpless victims to the power of the weather. But do you see in those verses... God needs only a word, and the weather obeys him. He sends his command to the earth, and his word runs swiftly. He spreads the snow like wool and scatters the frost like ashes. He hurls down hail like pebbles. Who can withstand his icy blast? Not Jamie Oliver. He sends his word and melts them. He stirs up his breezes, and the waters flow. God only needs a word, and his creation obeys. And the psalmist points to the 
unique privilege that Old Testament Israel had. Verses 19 and 20. He has revealed his words to Jacob, his laws and decrees to Israel. He has done this for no other nation. They do not know his laws. This powerful word that commands the weather, that commands his creation, was revealed to Old Testament Israel in God's laws and his decrees. And we sometimes make the mistake that we think God's word in the Old Testament was all bad news, but it really was a blessing. Um, God's laws and decrees, they, they taught his people how to live with him. His laws and decrees gave them a society that should have been or had the potential to be just and fair like no other society on earth. God's laws and decrees revealed his character, revealed his glory to his people. They could see something of what God is like through what he said. And of course, God's decrees and laws gave them the sacrificial system by which they could ceremonially enter God's presence and by which they could see, even faintly, as through a like, kind of veil, a greater sacrifice to come. It really was a unique privilege to be spoken to by the God who created the world. God was speaking to his people, and so the psalmist called Old Testament Israel to praise the Lord. But of course, again, this means so much more on the lips of Jesus. When Jesus leads the church in worship, because we have received God's word in the flesh. We have received God's word in the flesh. In John chapter 1, we read, The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Speaking, of course, of Jesus. And I think if these last 18 months have taught us anything, it's that in-person communication is infinitely better like a text can be misinterpreted, an email can sound harsh when you intended it to be just straightforward. But when you speak face-to-face -face with someone, you, you not only understand, but you can relate and you can know that person. And when God speaks in the flesh, it is so much better than just reading words on the page. In Jesus, we have the full revelation of what God is like and we've received this word, not only in the flesh, but in our hearts. God has put his spirit in and among his church. We have the author of scripture with us. So that if we don't understand something that's been said, we can ask the person who wrote it. We have the spirit among us. He has gifted individuals to teach us. What a wonderful blessing that is. And we've received the word of grace. Again, in John chapter 1. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Grace upon grace. Grace in place of grace already given. Grace. God spoke and he said grace. Um, the cross is just the ultimate expression of who God is. There we see his love and compassion for us. And there we see his justice, that he's not willing to sweep, sweep sin under the carpet. He has spoken and he has called everyone to repentance. So that if anyone turns and puts their trust and faith in Jesus, they will be saved. They will be welcomed into the community of the church. And as this church, as the church, week by week, we gather and we hear this word. 
What a wonderful privilege that is. We have this word preached twice every Sunday. We have this word um, kind of discussed in Bible study groups. We have fellowship among believers who value God's word and speak God's word to one another. What a privilege. The God of the universe would speak to you, to us. And he says grace. So, Christchurch Banstead, why do we sing? Yes, uh, we sing because it, it brings us together. Yes, we sing because we want to teach one another and exhort one another in the truths that uh, we find in God's word. Yes, we want to enjoy our singing, especially after so long. But let's sing the praises of our God. Let's have that first and foremost in our minds. And maybe someone here or, or someone um, watching online, um, you, you read these words and you might, you might sing them, but you feel a sense of distance. They don't feel like they're your words. I would just encourage you to, to come in. Come into the church. Uh, come into the community of God's people. Turn to Jesus and find forgiveness for your sins. And I promise you, singing these words will mean just everything. It is a wonderful privilege to sing God's praises. Let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you so much and we praise you for building your church. We praise you for keeping your church, providing and protecting us. We praise you for speaking to your church. And Lord, we just ask that you would equip us to sing your praises. Our voices may be out of tune, but please tune our hearts to sing your praise. And we just ask that we would know your smile as we do so. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, Andrew. Isn't that a great reminder of God's goodness as we, uh, we start a new week? And uh, isn't the Lord great and 